All righty, good afternoon, everybody. Guru and Wiz Fantasy Football Podcast. And we have our Super Bowl. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers will be squaring off at home for the first time in history in the NFL uh, against the defending champion Kansas City Chiefs. Wiz, how are you today? Yeah, I'm doing, uh, I'm doing well. Down to the final game and uh, Kansas City looking to go back-to-back and uh, Tom Brady trying for another Super Bowl ring. Absolutely amazing. Yeah, I mean, look, 10th Super Bowl in his career. Uh, different team. It's taken a while to kind of build chemistry. I was actually watching an interesting interview. Uh, you know, I think um, earlier in the season, maybe it was a case where we were trying to fit Tom Brady into Bruce Arians' scheme. And then as the kind of season wore on, it actually started to shift a little bit where, where the Tampa Bay Buccaneers actually started more gearing towards, you know, how Tom Brady plays the game. And, uh, Look, I credit to the I credit to Tampa Bay all, all year long. They 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 had to endure a, a lot of different things in this team. They had some injuries. Um, you know, certainly the chemistry situation, especially in, especially given the fact that you didn't have your normal regimen in terms of a preseason. So, I, I think at the end of the day, we, we thought the best four teams, the, the way the teams were playing coming into the into the playoffs, were remaining. Uh, that that game against Green Bay was a terrific football game. Uh, the other game, not too much. I think the Buffalo Bills were, were kind of outmanned and overmatched, and surprisingly so. I think both of us thought, you know, the Bills, you know, would have shown a lot better in that ball game, and, and, and just wasn't to be the case. But you know, we have two two great teams standing. Uh, you know, obviously Patrick Mahomes defending his title. Uh, you know, against basically the greatest quarterback of all time in, in Tom Brady. Yeah, there's no question about that. I mean, when Buffalo got off to. Uh a nine nothing lead, you know, when they jumped right on Kansas City. Uh, you know, I thought it was really gonna be that day. I mean, it just felt like something magical was going on. But as great as Josh Allen um played this year and he's terrific, you know, is there are some people saying, you know, he's as good as Patrick Mahomes or whatever. He still has some to you know, he still has a way to go. I mean, he was tricked a lot about in that game by the defense schemes that uh, Kansas City was employing. He kind of got tricked and fooled, uh, you know, in trying to throw the ball. So he's 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 certainly on, on you know, the right trajectory. There's no question about that. He's trending in the right direction, but he's got a ways to go. But right now we have, you know, the quarterback who's considered the greatest of all time versus the quarterback who some people consider will be the greatest of all time. And, uh, this is a real game of, you know, legacy. Boy, if um, if if Brady wins this and gets his seventh, um, I don't think there'll be any catching him whatsoever. No question, historic historic stuff, and he's playing good football. Although, although you know, it's got to be said that uh, infallibility is is not something that goes without notice. Uh, in in this particular game, you know, Brady had a couple of big picks in the second half. He threw three in total. Green Bay had every opportunity to potential potentially tie this football game. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that in a second. You know, getting behind Tom Brady, I think it was twenty eight to ten at home. It didn't look good. They they fought back in it. They had an opportunity because really Tampa Bay did nothing in the second half. Uh, I think the interesting thing, Wiz, in this particular football game that we have coming up in in a couple of weeks' time is that once again we're going to be dealing with a rematch. Kansas City and Tampa Bay played earlier in the season, and and we're going to get that rematch once again. 
Oh, yeah, and uh, if you're, you know, for the people that don't exactly remember the game, I think I want to say Tyree Kill at 200 yards receiving at halftime of the game or very close to that. Um, and he was, you know, doing backflips into the end zone, waving goodbye to the Tampa Bay defenders in like the first and the second quarter. And then Tampa kind of, you know, figured things out a little bit and they made it um, close in the uh, in, in the second half. But this is going to be such an interesting game, the dynamics of it, where the game is being played. You know, we'll definitely uh, talk more about it, but – Kansas City is coming into this matchup in a difficult way with both of their tackles hurt and, uh, boy, losing Fisher this past week. You know, the blind side for Patrick Mahomes. You know, with Pierre Paul and Shaq Barrett, you know, rushing from the edges. It's going to give Tampa Bay a little bit of an edge uh, in that. But the greatness of Patrick Mahomes overcomes a lot. We'll see if he'll be able to overcome that. But that's that's uh for, you know, as it gets closer next week. But I guess we're just gonna talk about a few things, including, you know, talking about the uh the game that I think people will be talking a game that people will be talking about for a long, long time to come, that Tampa Bay Packer game, especially what took place uh at the end of the game. So you know, what were your thoughts on on the game and the decision making and all of it at the end? You know, I th- at the end of the day, I think it came down to this and, and how it plays out from here I, remains to be seen. Uh, you know, there was some post-game interviews with Aaron Rodgers. Uh, he, he did have a, a walk back on some of his commentary on Pat McAfee's show uh, yesterday. A little bit different tone. I think a lot of people were starting to look at the end of the Aaron Rodgers era. I think that's probably slightly premature at the moment. But, you know, when you hit a guy uh, after he's lost a challenging game uh, and he's emotionally zapped, uh, which was really where I think uh, Aaron Rodgers was, after that ball game, I think it came down though to where a, you know a coach who believed in his quarterback and trusted in his quarterback and one who didn't. And you know, you really look at the end of the first half, the, the with eight seconds left after they had completed a short pass, it looked like it was a situation where I, I don't know that they maybe were going to try to complete one more pass to try and kick a field goal. And lo and behold, Brady had said something on the sidelines. He thought he had a good matchup with Scotty Miller running down the sidelines, and that ended up being the case. Brady threw a perfect ball. They score with eight seconds left in the half. And, you know, you put that against the backdrop of not trusting Aaron Rodgers, who's thrown so many miraculous passes to end games before in a situation where I did not understand why you would not try to score when you still had the timeouts and the the, um, two-minute warning in your favor, and that's in the fourth quarter. It didn't make a lot of sense. And I think, you know, we talked about a couple of things in this particular game. We thought Aaron Jones was not going to be able to run the football. That was the case. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers remained stalwart against against the rush. We saw that. No question about it. They were able somehow somehow to keep a lid on Devontae Adams in this game, despite the fact that the Tampa Bay Buccaneer defense, their secondary, was playing much maligned. They had a bunch of guys that were out. They had rookies back there, inexperienced guys, but they were able to keep a lid on it. It was just a very strange ball game. I think one thing that's shown, too, is Leonard Fournette. 
You know, he doesn't have a lot of mileage on him this season because they kind of used Ronald Jones a lot, and he looked very strong in this particular game. We thought that there was probably an opportunity for for guys to step up in the absence of Antonio Brown, Scotty Miller, and Cameron Brait. Both of them ended up scoring touchdowns. So, yeah, at the end of the day, execution versus lack of execution on the Green Bay side and believing in your quarterback, which I don't think took place where Matt LaFleur has to give – Aaron Rodgers the opportunity to win that football game in that situation. Yeah, I mean, so going back to the play before halftime, I thought the defensive scheme by Green Bay was horrendous. They had the ball at the 40-yard line, 39, 40-yard line. It was right around there, and there was eight seconds left before the play. They had no timeouts. So I don't understand the, the defense of that they were employing there. It's very simple. You only have two things to do. Don't let them catch the ball out of bounds. Don't let the play go out of bounds. And don't let them get behind you for a touchdown. Any other result than that is fine. An incompletion, a tackle in the field of play, it's all fine. If Sukup is going to be able to make a 57, 58-yard field goal in those type of conditions, I doubt they even would try to field goal. They probably would try to Hail Mary. I don't understand the defense. All you do is you, you rush one or two guys. You play like a nine-man zone. You play an umbrella around the, around both sidelines and deep and let them catch the ball wherever in the field of play, tackle it, the play starting with eight or nine seconds, wherever they catch it, they're never going to be able to spike the ball in eight or nine seconds after that. That's all they had to do. You know, LaFleur is a really, he's a terrific play caller. But one thing that young coaches and, and even a lot of coaches in today's game are not great at, which a lot of coaches in the old days were great at, especially the great Bill Parcells, is clock management. And I'm going to tell you that what led up to that last-second touchdown, I thought was poor clock management by LaFleur. The the Packers took over right before the half. We're down 14 to 10 with just about a minute to go in the half. He completed a 20-something yard pass for Lazard. They had two timeouts left. Do you know how long it takes them to get up the field? By the time they spiked, the play, they didn't spike it. They ran that next play, and that's when he threw the interception. Over 20 seconds had run off the clock. If he just would have called a timeout, Right after the completion, they would have one timeout from the 40, 42-yard line of their own. We'd probably 50 seconds to go in the half. That would have been plenty of time. They, they, by the time that, that interception took place and, and Tampa Bay intercepted that ball, there was only 20 second, 28 seconds left. Uh, so between not calling the timeout, running the play, and the conclusion of the play, it really took up a full 40 seconds of the minute, just about. And I thought that Rodgers kind of had to rush that pass. He tried to complete another one, and it got picked off. So I thought a timeout there, let Green Bay get settled and try and get that field goal. I thought that it would have really had a a good chance of being 14-13 at the half instead of an interception and then 21-10. So I thought poor clock management by LaFleur on offensive a side of the ball, and then just a terrible defensive scheme on the on that last play. Brady the Miller uh, put them down eleven points instead of possibly being down one point. A tremendous swing in that game, and then at the end of the game, the thing that really surprised me was on that third down play. 
man, Rodgers, I felt, could have walked into the end zone. He was veering off to his right. He threw it across his body um, right at the goal line. There were like two or three guys on him, and he still tried to complete that pass. In, in in his career, he's known for like giving that pump fake and then just running the ball in. When you watch that third down play over again, if he had to do it over again, don't you think he just would have like probably really tried to score himself on that play? Yeah, and I think even in that situation, uh, he had a he had a very clear lane. And and Aaron Rodgers is is a very aware player, as aware as a player as there is, you know, coach on the field type. Uh, you know, yeah. there's no there's no question that let's say it, by some miracle he actually has, ends up getting caught in that spot. Well, they still have the ball fourth and two on the two yard line, right? Yeah, so, he would have certainly got inside the five. But if you watch the play again, they were all going for where he threw the ball, and then the one of the, the, the one of the defenders left was covering. I think uh, it may have been Lazard or St. Brown in the corner of the end zone, and he was really deep into the end zone. I mean, if you watch that play closely again, for those people that just want to view it again, Rogers veers off to his right. He he was scored on that play, but if not, he was certainly gone down to a spot where they would have been, you know, from the one, two, or three yard line. They certainly would have went for it. So some strange plays, but I don't know what your view of it is, but I don't see any scenario where Aaron Rodgers is going to leave Green Bay. And I'll tell you the two reasons why. One is look at that division. Okay. You have Detroit Lions who are completely tearing it up and starting over. You have the Chicago Bears who who have an inept offense as it is and are about to lose their best player, Allen Robinson, via free agency. And a Vikings team where it just looks like it's gotten stale with Zimmer and their defense, which was once their calling card, is just lost. So you couldn't ask for a better division, and he's about winning right now. That's all he's got left is to try and win these a Super Bowl or two before his career is over. So given the situation, his division, it's kind of all set up for Green Bay. And then the other thing is he works such in such synchrony and harmony with Devontae Adams, how is he going to go to another team at his age and get that going with other receivers? He's a great quarterback, but he, he works with such shorthand on the field. They know exactly what each other is doing. So between Devontae Adams and the fact that their division is set up for Green Bay, I don't know about you. I just don't see it happening at this point him going to another team. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I just think it, unless there's such a creative difference between the coach and, 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 and the player, which it did not seem the case all year long, despite the fact that we know, we know what they did with Jordan, Jordan Love in, in this draft and you know how, how, how Rodgers was kind of feeling about coming into the season. But he had a lot to prove. He proved it. He's on the, he's on the cusp of an MVP award. Um, I, think, I think the one part of the football team which does need to be addressed to, to give some help to this entire offense. I think they, you do need a proper slot receiver in this offense. And I think that's one of the things they will try and, and need to address, whether it's in free agency or in the draft. Um, there, there is some talent on both sides of the ball here. They have some young talent. They have a, you know, certainly will have a discount for a couple of years. 
with a guy like A.J. Dillon at running back. So, And I think the point that you make about this division where I don't see any of those teams, teams being a threat, I think the Minnesota Vikings are going to have to make a decision on the direction they want to go at, at quarterback as well. And as you mentioned, defensively, they've just kind of fallen apart. And, that, and by the way, that's probably the best team in this division. And, and Detroit is doing a complete overhaul. So, yeah, in terms of your opportunity to win – and the fact that this team's won 13 football games two years in a row, uh, it, it seems the likelihood that he stays put and, and they actually try to figure out what they could do to make this team a better team. Yeah, I think they could address that slot or other wide receiver via free agency uh, and then correct uh, other areas that they need with the draft. So I think you'll, you know, you'll, see, you know, you'll see them do that. Uh, as far as the AFC goes... I, I just want to add one other thing, too. It's kind of interesting in this football game when you actually... Even though Green Bay was not able to run the ball that well in this game, uh, they actually led in time of possession by about 10 minutes. I think they held the ball for 35 minutes, and they won the turnover battle. And it's kind of rare in, in a situation like that where you do that. Now, granted, Brady had that big play, which kind of offsets things at the end of the game in terms of a scoring opportunity. But in many instances in the playoffs, when you win the battle of time of possession and the battle of turnovers, you're likely to win the football game. So it just, you know, again, I think it kind of falls back. I, I don't understand not going for a touchdown late in the game and, 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 and still having them pinned back at that point in time. But, you know, it is what it is. We, we move forward. Um, but, you know, it'll take a while for the Green Bay team and their fans to kind of shake this one off. Um, it's going to be sore for a while. But, yeah, well, let's move on to the AFC. Uh, and, and you mentioned in this particular game, Nine nothing lead uh, again. A miss extra point, which has been driving me crazy. It's been happening way too frequently in the in the latter half of this season with kickers. But it's nine nothing. They got a lead. Obviously, Kansas City has been in this position before. As a matter of fact, they were in this position in the playoffs the year prior. They're able to come back, making big plays, shaking off. Uh, you know, a guy like McCall Harbin shaking off a turnover or, or, or early in this game and come back with that big run in the second half. And, you know, just a, just a, just a typical day at the office for Patrick Mahomes and this chief offense. Yeah. I mean, you know, it goes back to what I've been saying all year about, you know, it's not directly to do with the bills, but it is in a way is that, you know, these teams are just so, um, mysterious and deceitful about their injuries. And we find out that Cole Beasley was playing the last three weeks with a broken fibula. I mean, you know, one of those things you and I took, the, took them over on a prop, you know, receiving in reception. Now, we would have done that. We knew the guy had a broken leg, basically. But he played those three games. He was out there amazing that he was able to play. He wasn't the same player. Uh, but look, you got to give credit what credit is due. And Kansas City really held Diggs and Brown in check. Um you know, and, and, and Josh Allen just was able to run a little bit, but they tricked him. They, they, they surprised him. They did things on defense. He was throwing the ball, you know, uh, in, in areas where he shouldn't have been throwing the ball because he just wasn't, you know, reading the defense right. So you have to give a lot of credit to the Kansas City defense. Josh Allen is taking that progressive step um, and to be a great quarterback. He's got a ways to go yet. But I'll tell you who, who does not have a ways to go is Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, and Travis Kelsey. They don't have a ways to go. That's where everybody wants to be, where those three players are at. And uh, it's an unstoppable 
machine is the best way to put it on offense. I mean, they, you know that he wants to throw it to 10 and 87, and there's just nothing you can do about it. Yeah, they, they've, they've been unbelievably unstoppable, uh, especially in the second half of the season. Um, you know, you, you know where the ball's going. Generally speaking, it is going to one of these guys. Although, you know, Patrick always tries to sprinkle in uh, some, some, other, some other players. And look, this is a team that's trying to figure out its way at running back. I think once again in this ball game, uh, you know, you talked about Darrell Williams, a, you know, a few weeks ago. And, um, you know, again, in this game, he was the more effective runner. I, I'm going to be very curious what they do in the Super Bowl. Now, granted, if I'm if I'm Patrick Mahomes in the Kansas City offense, I'm going to try to throw the ball as much as I can. That is less of a part of the offense, sorry, of the defense of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers that you can take advantage. That's the one you can, as opposed to their rushing game. But Darrell Williams looks to be the way more effective runner here at the moment. We know um, Clyde Edwards-Alaire is coming off an injury as well. Uh, and, and again, Williams had something to say. He was the guy that was running out the clock in this ball game. And I think he's going to be the guy that, that they lean on in, in, in the Super Bowl as well. I just think at this point in time, I know he'll have scored a touchdown in the game, but I think Darrell Williams is the guy that, that, that you would trust more in this backfield as we sit here right now. Yeah, and I'm going to tell you something that Kansas City is going to employ in this game that Green Bay didn't employ at all. Um, but Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy and that offense are very, very creative at throwing screen passes. And that's the best part of Clyde Edwards-Alaire's game. He hasn't been able to really show it all year. Maybe two weeks of another rest, you know, with more rest is going to get him back. He clearly is not playing at 100%. But getting that player the ball in space is where he could be dynamic. And I have a feeling that Kansas City is going to use that pass rush against those tackles against them and try and get the ball to Edwards Alaire. Tyree Kill and McCole Hardman in space on some screen passes and uh, and some big plays. And I, I think you're going to see them utilize that a lot. Something that Green Bay wasn't able to do uh, at all. Um, they didn't really try it. I know Aaron Jones kind of got hurt in that game, and he was just throwing the ball down the field, Aaron Rodgers. But Kansas City is very good at the screen game, and I think they're going to utilize that game, that part of their game in the Super Bowl. I'll say one thing uh, I failed to mention earlier about Tampa Bay, and it kind of plays into it. I know one guy that's probably playing better than anybody right now on the defensive side of the football that's left in the playoffs. Devin White has just been absolutely tremendous uh, throughout this entire playoffs, making a real difference in this defense. Uh, you know, again, he's not going to be able to catch the likes of those guys, but he's such an important part of what they're doing right now. And Devin White, you could see the maturity coming through, and you know, he's really starting to understand the game very well. Uh, you know, being drafted a few years back, but now he's really turning into a tremendous defensive player. Yeah, there's there's no question about it. But when you look at like the the Green Bay personnel versus Kansas City's personnel it's it, it, it's both great but it's just different and kansas city has a track team on their hands i mean they have a relay an olympic relay team 
with Tyreek Hill, McCole Hardman, Sammy Watkins coming back. I mean, even their fourth and receiver, fourth and fifth, you know, receivers, uh, Demarcus Robinson and, and Pringle are better than a lot of teams' third receivers. And then you're going to mix in now Travis Kelsey, who is, is just so so good right now. Uh, he just seems to be getting better and better. Uh, every time you see him play, it's just he, he's just an unstoppable force. And then, like I said, I think you're going to see Clyde Edwards-Alaire being used more in that sprint, in that screen game, and and the way he could show off his elusiveness as well. So um, they don't have Fisher and they don't have their tackles, but it's still going to be a, a very daunting task to who stop that Kansas City offense. Yeah, no no question. I think I, I think the one thing too, uh, you, you know, you mentioned Cole Beasley earlier and um you know, the fact of the matter is the the Bills aside from Josh Allen just didn't have a rushing game all year long. And you know, there's only so long you're going to get away from that. I think they really used a guy like Cole Beasley as kind of a, as as a pseudo rush game for the for that for this team. Dawson Knox to an extent as well, those short passes. That's one thing that the Bills are going to have to think about in this offseason. They were just, you know, Singletary came with a lot of uh hype, you know, even coming into the season because he finished 2019 very, very strong, especially in that playoff game against against Houston. You know, they drafted Zach Moss this year. He unfortunately got hurt, but they were really unable, outside of Patrick Mahomes, sorry, outside of Josh Allen, they were never able to rush the football this year. And I think at some point in time, that can catch up with you in terms of what teams and how they scheme against you in defense. And, you know, they really became, a, you know, a one-dimensional offense as kind of the season wore on. Yeah, speaking of which, I don't know if you saw the comments by DK Metcalf, but he said that at some point during the season, teams caught on to what they were doing and they didn't change it at all. But we're going to talk a, a lot about the upcoming, you know, the next season and players and teams, what we like and who could be uh, moving up the boards as far as rankings and who could be moving down. We're certainly going to get into that. But just, you know, remaining with Kansas City, you know, I was thinking about this when I was watching the game, you know, back in the 90s, um, the triplets for the Cowboys were considered like the, you know, the quarterback, running back, and receiver with Aikman, Emmitt Smith, and Irvin. You know, people talk about the triplets and is that the greatest of all time? And it got me to thinking are we witnessing right now the greatest trio of quarterback, a grouping of quarterback, wide receiver, and tight end? With Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, and Tyree Kill at this point, it got me thinking to like some teams, you know, in the history, you know, or since we've been watching football. And uh, I don't know if there are any trios at those at those positions that could come close even um, to matching Mahomes, Hill, and Kelsey at this point. Uh, in the league right now, no. In the past, you know, look, the the tight end position has evolved greatly you know, as we've kind of moved along here over the years. You know, these the the, the, the number of tight ends that that making a material difference. You know, catching catching balls in the, in the kind of anywhere from. 80 to 100 area in terms of receptions and and around a thousand yards or more and, you know, and these two guys this year who combined I think I think Hill had 15 touchdowns this year and I think Gronk sorry Gronk uh, Kelsey had 11 I actually did go back and look this up so uh, you know back in 2011 when the Patriots were kind of playing their game with Tom Brady and obviously 
it was much more of a short passing game. The, the, the scheme of that offense was different. This is when Aaron Hernandez was also there, who he nearly breached 1,000 yards on that team as well. But in that situation, you had – this is when – this is, I guess, at this point in time, Randy Moss was either not on the team or already finished uh, with his uh, play in the NFL. But Gronk, I think, had 17 touchdowns that year. And if I'm not mistaken, I think Wes Welker had 1,500 yards receiving. I, I got to go look it up. But that was, I remember. Yeah, no, well, Gronk, had, that, that was 2011, right? Yep, yep. 2011, yeah. I mean, Brady threw, I think, 4,800 yards, and Gronk had 17, and may have been 1,100 or maybe close to 1,000, maybe a little above or a little below. And Welker had a ton of catches, maybe like 120 catches and, and big yards as well. But what I'm getting at is, you know, we could look at some teams that for one year, yeah, you could find that, but we're going on three years of this, and this doesn't look like it's it's stopping anytime soon. Yeah, I think the only way it stops, actually, I think the one factor that stops you, and Kelsey's not young. Um, I worry about, you know, we had that incident last weekend where I think there was kind of like, I don't know, some people will call it a playful shove. I think it was more than that on the sidelines. I mean, look, Tyreek Hill came came to this team with baggage. Uh, he's had a few incidences while he's been a member of this team. To me, that's probably the only thing that could potentially wreck this is, is if he kind of makes a mistake off the field because I think if he does make one more mistake, that that's a that's a big red flag in the NFL's eyes because he's kind of had that situation already. And I don't, I'm not wishing it on the player, but I think that's the only thing that's going to stop this group right now outside of a, what we would call a typical injury. You know, these guys, you know, and, and Hill is still a young player. We know Patrick Mahomes is going to be here for a long time uh, doing his thing. And it's going to be a, it's going to be a real challenge to to, to fight against this force. I, look, there's been great tight ends over the years, and I think we've talked about this before. I mean, we know you know there's been some seasons where Jimmy Graham had a dominating season, or Tony Gonzalez has had a couple of dom- Tony Gonzalez was not doing what Travis Kelsey is doing right now. It's very very different type of receiver. Yeah, no, I mean if you if you're looking, you know, if you're looking at the greatest at the, at the greatest trios, if you will quarterback, tight end, and wide receiver. Like, to me, I think you have some situations where you had two elite. Like, I'll give you an example. Like, there are years where Montana, Rice, you could easily say that they're the greatest at their position, and Brent Jones, who was a a Pro Bowl receiver, but he he was a good tight end, but he wasn't an elite or a great player. But Montana and Rice obviously are elite players. And then you have like Elway, who was elite, of course, and Shannon Sharp, who's an elite tight end, and like Rod Smith, who's a very good player, but not elite. The only trio where I would say all three players are, I would classify as great players, were the Chargers team of Dan Fouts, who's a great quarterback, Kevin Winslow, who's one of the greatest tight ends, and Charlie Joyner, who's a great receiver. Uh, oh, what about, the uh, but they had Jefferson, too, on that uh, on those teams, too, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I think Charlie Joyner is probably considered, you know, the, the the better, I don't know. I mean, they're both, both very good. But well, I guess what I'm getting at is, 
I've never seen a trio where you can make a case where all three players can be considered the best player at their position for the, for the year that it's happening. And I think at this point in time, I think certainly Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, and Tyreek Hill are elite at their position. And uh, it just, to me, it's just amazing to watch. It's like a video game where they just cannot be stopped. And uh, it's just, it's in, it's incredible to see. And it's almost like it's taken for granted what they're going to do, but it's, uh, it's, it's just an amazing thing to watch. No, and it's interesting coming in, you know, we talked about this uh, pre preseason this year, and I don't think there's been a year where ever before we saw so much consensus around who the number one receiver was coming into the season. And that was, that was, that was Michael Thomas of, of the New Orleans Saints, uh, which, unfortunately because of health reasons and even when he got back he, he he never was right ended up being a complete disaster for owners obviously that took him in in an early round in a snake draft because i think he a lot of times you saw him taken you know within the first six or seven picks uh, and obviously he cost a lot of money in an auction draft now, i think you know based on what you're saying here and, and if we look at what's kind of happened at the receiver position i think you can make a definitive case for for the coming season that looking at the numbers and how the performance has been in the postseason, Tyreek Hill could be the consensus number one wide receiver coming into the 2021 season. Yeah, or, or if he's not, he'll be two or three. I mean, I, I think some people will say, you know, Devontae Adams doesn't have a Travis Kelsey to take away those you know those targets so whatever and I, I'm not going to, you know, I could, I could see that point, whatever, but certainly at this point, Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, and, and, and Tyree Kill was in that conversation. And, uh, yeah, you could certainly have all three of those players listed as the top-ranked player at their respective positions. And uh, it's something that um, is, so, uh, is so unbelievable when you watch them play. It's uh, it's it's just it's just like I said, amazing how how great those players are, and uh, and and to and, and to watch them work the ball offensively, and to see what they did against Tampa Bay the first time, it's going to be very interesting to see what Todd Bowles has has cooked up to try and slow that offense down. And you know, there's been a few instances this year where where teams have, and I think as the season gone on has gone on, it's changed a little bit, but. Early in the year, if you remember, there was a couple. Look, this this team at times looked a little flat offensively in a few of these games in the middle of the season. We we talked about the streak that they were on, where they didn't beat anybody by more than eight points uh, in in a in a nine game span. Uh, they they were actually look. You talked about the Atlanta game; they were struggling to beat that team. Um, yeah, it will be interesting to see what they employ. I, I'd ask you one more question here, and that's. Look, there's one more coaching job left at the moment, and that's that's the Houston Texan job. We know there's so much stuff going on with the quarterback situation there. I really hate this situation where guys who are still coaching, I think this is one of the worst rules, and the NFL needs to address it. Guys are, who are still coaching, like an Eric Bieniemy, is at a disadvantage as they're interviewing because there's like a conflict of interest, and the time that he's putting into his current team, you know, takes away right. from the interview process, right? But it, can you make the case at this point in time? And I know Leslie Frazier's been interviewed and been talked about for that Houston job, uh, but you know, Bieniemy is a guy. I know he's not calling the plays, but he's a big part of the orchestration of this offense. You know, are we looking at a situation here if if the Chiefs go on and win, or even even if they don't go win this ball game, where where Eric Bieniemy is still kind of has an inch, has an opportunity to get that job down in Houston? Yeah, I, 
Eric Bieniemy is going to need reassurances from Deshaun Watson that he's going to stay if he takes that job, and 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 kind of like vice versa. I mean, I, that would be really the only reason to take that job is you know you can't start over and get picks and not have Deshaun Watson. You got to have that quarterback, uh, that great quarterback to work around, uh, you, you know, the rest of it. To go from there, so you know there's going to have to be you know reassurances, and then you see things like it's gotten past the point already for Deshaun Watson where he doesn't care with the coaches anymore. So that situation has gotten ugly. <clears throat> it started getting ugly months before the season started, and it's gotten uglier after the season is over. It's completely amazing what's gone on with the Texans. Yeah, they, they, they've got, you know, and, and they've got major problems there. Absolute major problems. We, I, I, you know, we felt for a while that O'Brien was in over his head, you know, taking on both those roles. But he, 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 he was dismissed, and I think rightfully so. But now you have a situation where you're questioning the ownership. Uh, you know, Deshaun Watson seemed pretty adamant about his interest in actually leaving the franchise and starting over anew. Absolutely. And uh, so I, I don't know. I don't know what that's going to look like, but – Boy, the, the for the first time in, in since I can remember, you have three, four, five quarterbacks who are terrific that could be leaving teams and changing teams, and and that musical chairs that we talked about uh, where they end up is going to be so interesting, and uh, and you know it's a real opportunity for some of these teams, and. Uh, the Colts, you know, that's another team. The Colts and 49ers and Patriots, they are starving to get a to get an elite coach. And the, and, and the thing is about the 49ers and the Colts is they have the surrounding cast to win now. That's a golden spot for a good quarterback to go to. So we'll see how it plays out. Uh, Matt Stafford <clears throat> seems to be the one, you know, that's kind of like attached or his name to San Francisco, but I don't know. The Colts seem to have a perfect situation for a veteran quarterback, as we saw with Phillip Rivers. And if you have someone like Matt Stafford, who is still <clears throat> can do much more things at the quarterback position than Phillip Rivers, and boy, that's a wonderful opportunity when you say you try and go to the Colts. Uh, yeah, look, I I think the quarterback <laughs> the quarterback situation when you look at. The fact that Drew Brees and 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 Philip Rivers are retiring, right? So you have those two situation situations that need to be remedied in one way, shape, or form. Uh, you, you talked about New England; uh, they don't have the offensive cast there. Uh, they they certainly have the the pedigree in terms of the coach, uh, but you know I I think Cam Newton will most likely find himself as a backup quarterback at best in the NFL next year. Uh, San Francisco, the confidence in Jimmy Garoppolo. Oh, by the way, Jared Goff. Is there any confidence in that player? You know, Sean McVay certainly is not giving any ringing endorsements there. So, and in these, and we talked about Philadelphia. They're sitting there with a new coach and Carson Wentz and Jalen Hurts. So there are so many moving parts here. You know, Matt Stafford, to be fair, didn't win any playoff games uh, as a Detroit Lion. So. That's a little bit of a, a mark against him, in my opinion. I don't think it's necessarily all on his shoulders, but Detroit has been woefully inefficient as a football team during his tenure there. Again, offensively, he's put up some big numbers. They've had a lot of faults, not being able to run the football, bad defense and such. I think if you look at the situation in Indianapolis, to answer your question, though, 
Yes, they have to replace Costanzo at left tackle, but they still have a very good offensive line. They have a very smart football coach in Frank Reich. They have a talented running back. They have talented wide receivers. They're good on defense. It is a place where you can win, you know, basically pretty immediately. And to me, one of the most uh, one of the most uh, appealing landing spots for a quarterback that can possibly be would be in Indianapolis. Let me just say this about Matt Stafford: the guy has had horrific management. Horrific general managers, horrific coaches, no defense, no running game, has played through broken backs. I mean, look, football's a tough business, but if you're the Pittsburgh Steelers and you have a championship defense and you have young receivers you like, you don't give Matt Stafford, you know, you're not thinking about this Matt Stafford situation and saying, look, you know, we just can't win this with Ben Roethlisberger and, you know, his time's up. We get Matt Stafford in here with a championship defense. We, we may be we're one of the best teams in football. I mean, you know, what do you think about, like, you know, we've talked about the Colts and 49ers, but, you know, I know it's a tough business, but at some point you have to think about going forward and not the past. And can you imagine Matt Stafford in, in Pittsburgh? Uh, well, they just went ahead and signed Dwayne Haskins, so I'm not sure what the hell they're thinking. So that's, that's a whole other story. <laughs> yeah, well, they're thinking that Ben Roethlisberger is probably not going to make it through the season, but if that's the case, there's certainly not the answer with Dwayne Haskins. So no. I, I don't know what that's all about, but, I mean, there are some teams that with an elite quarterback, and I feel that Matt Stafford is an elite quarterback, and you put him with a championship-type defense – or a good defense. Certainly the Steelers have an elite defense. The Colts have a good defense. The 49ers with their personnel back from injuries have a good defense. And those, you know, and Kittle and those and Ayuk and those other players, that's a, that, that's a team that could, I don't know, I think the Colts, the 49ers get themselves a quarterback that can throw the ball. They're going to be dangerous teams. Yeah, no question about it. And there's going to be a lot to talk about in this offseason. You know, we'll, 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 you know, the combines are not going to happen this year, but there'll be a lot of offseason movement. We'll be trying to stay on top of it as it happens. But I think you're going to see a changing face at, at the quarterback position all over the league, you know, between retirements and, and guys that have kind of fallen out of favor and some players potentially looking for a, a, a better place to play because they're not happy with their current situation. So a, a lot to be discussed still there. Absolutely. All right, good stuff. So that's Guru and Wiz Fantasy Football Podcast. Uh, we will be back uh, with some interesting shows that to kind of fill in the space between the game. And next week we'll do uh, some pregame thoughts, obviously. You know, we'll, we'll do player props. We'll do our thoughts on the Super Bowl. But that'll wait till later in the week. Uh, but we look forward to catching up with you uh, probably on Friday or Saturday again uh, with another show. And then uh, next week we'll be uh, you know hot and heavy uh, on top of the Super Bowl matchup between the Tampa Bay Bucks and the Kansas City Chiefs. So, Wiz, enjoy the rest of the day. Uh, good discussion as always. Uh, and again, we're on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Guru and Wiz Fantasy Football Podcast. Have a good one, Wiz. You do the same. Thank you.